0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Hopefully nobody had damage up in North Minneapolis here, So you probably heard by now. About the tornado that came through this afternoon up north. So last week, we began this topic of uh, mindfulness of feeling states. I mentioned last week um, how much the Buddha highlighted this as an important place to develop awareness. The reason the Buddha spent so much time in his years teaching, emphasizing mindfulness, wasn't so much that mindfulness, Who's going to take care of everything? It's really about mindfulness being directed in particular ways. I mean, for example, we could spend a lot of time being mindful of, you know, what people think about us. Or, I mean, there are a lot of objects, mindfulness objects, that may not lead to any real insight. So last week I mentioned that uh, bringing this open, bright. Relaxed attention to feeling states. And in this chapter in uh, Jack Hartfeld's book, Chapter Nine, which is on feelings, he really talks about it, or he talks about it in terms of the primary feeling states and secondary feeling states. And the way to think of that is just, you know, we all have a quite diverse emotional life, lots of different emotions. And these different emotions generally are coming out of these primary feeling states of pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. So when we have a situation where there's a lot of unpleasantness, a lot of other emotions can arise. And some of those emotions, secondary emotions, that arise out of an unpleasant state are harmful. And some of them are not harmful. Same with pleasant if we're having a lot of pleasantness in our life, there can be a lot of unwholesome emotions, secondary emotions that flow out of that pleasant state or neutral state. And this is really the crux for us. You know, can we, as a human being, unavoidably, it's not just... uh, I was reading an article by... uh, uh, Gloria Ambrosia, she's a teacher, a uh, Vipassana teacher. She's going to be leading a retreat, by the way, for the Madison Insight uh, group later in July, at the end of July, if anybody's interested. And uh, in this article in the Madison Insight newsletter that I just received a few days ago, they, they printed up an article by um, Gloria. And in there, she talks about how uh, Uh, with uh, these feeling states that, uh, you know, when we have, like, aversion or we have greed arising, you know, we really have an option. If we pick it up, if we take it personally, then we can struggle. We get identified. We take the pleasant experience personally. And it sets in motion unpleasant secondary emotions. Right? So when it isn't the fact that we had a pleasant experience that caused the unwholesome or toxic secondary emotions, the problem was how we related to the primary feeling state of pleasantness. In this case, she describes in the article about being on a long retreat and all of a sudden, you know, showing up for the meal and there was her favorite bowl. And not only was her favorite bowl there, because you're just sort of it's happenstance, you know, someone might have taken your favorite bowl or plate, but that day her favorite bowl bowl and plate were right there waiting for her, and mug, I think. And not only that, her favorite meal had been prepared at the retreat center that day. And so, you know, getting identified, exhilarated, delighted, everything going my way. And we start to take it personally as if the bad weather or the nice weather or the good meal or the bad meal or that, you know, like it's happening to me. That somehow God is shining on me or, you know, fate. This is meant to be this way. And we take it personally. And then she sits down to eat her meal and she was eating next to some woman who made, for her, disgusting sounds when she was eating. And uh, completely overwhelmed by the unpleasantness of that, taking it personal, as if this woman on some level, mysterious level, was out to get her. You know how that is when things are unpleasant, like traffic or weather. Or We feel, I mean, even though we might know better, there's something in the mind that assumes somebody's out to get us. This isn't just, you know, random what did I do wrong to deserve this, we think? And there's such a strong tendency with pleasant and unpleasant experience. So the question is, like, what would it look like, because we're in this position of having a mind and body and being sensitive in the ways that a human being is sensitive, we're in a life where we're going to not only bump into unpleasant experience, but we're gonna bump into really beautiful experience too. Like that poster, that bumper sticker that was around, you know, shit happens. But she says in the article, we could also have, you know, on the bumper, pleasantness happens or pleasure happens. Because both are unavoidable in life. And then the question is, well can we when we inevitably bump into something pleasant, or inevitably bump into something unpleasant, is there a way for the secondary emotions that spin out from that primary experience of pleasantness or unpleasantness, is there a way so that all of the other emotional states, mind states, are wholesome? Just because we're bumping into pleasant and unpleasant states, do we need toxic, unwholesome? emotions to flow out and what would that look like what would it look like through the day tomorrow to be experiencing pleasant and unpleasant and even neutral states experiences without anything toxic arising in conjunction with those pleasant and unpleasant experiences i mean maybe you've bumped into people like that where something really bad, something really difficult, challenging, unpleasant happens to them, but no toxicity. You know, they're, they're not, it doesn't mean they're immune, doesn't mean they've somehow disconnected and they're not aware of what's going on in their life, but the mind is not dwelling in unwholesome states due to the unpleasant situation, or something really good is happening in their life, and they're also not dwelling in an unwholesome state around that pleasant event or pleasant happening. And it would be really nice to know that this is an option. This is what mindfulness gives us, actually. It's this choice. Without mindfulness, there's really no choice. When something bad, difficult happens to me, my mind then is just overwhelmed by the impulse, the sort of um, upsurge, of unwholesome, secondary emotions arising out of that particular state, that particular unpleasant or pleasant event. And if I'm not mindful, that upsurge of habit energy just sort of gets carried out. It just it arises. Because it's arising, the mind on habit just takes it personally. So that arising of emotion, it's me. It's I'm the one who's feeling that way. I'm the one who's compelled to act out these emotions. There's no space in the mind that can consider another option, like, oh, it's just emotion being known. So let's just think about each of these three possibilities, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And think about, for you, like, when let's bring to mind first an unpleasant event, something that happened in the last couple of days or something that might happen tomorrow. You know things that for you are either physically or mentally unpleasant. Bring it to mind. And then, as you bring that event to mind, you know might be a particular set of physical sensations that you don't like that happen with some regularity. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to one of the groups, you know, that I had a bad bout of hemorrhoids. Now, if you haven't had hemorrhoids, <laughs> It can be really unpleasant, especially if you spend a lot of your time sitting. <laughs> so, you know, there are so many chronic unpleasant physical conditions that human beings bump up against. So if you haven't if you think somehow this isn't an important place for wisdom, you're really missing a great place for practice because When we bump up against unpleasant physical states without wisdom, it's really bad. You know, it's bad enough as a human being to have physical discomfort. But when we have physical discomfort and no wisdom, no skill, so all we do with the physical discomfort is relate to it in a way that compounds the mental suffering, well, clearly, that's just adding hell to hell. So if you bring to mind an unpleasant situation, and then bring to mind the different secondary emotions that will arise out of that, and think about how you, how you might transmute the situation so that actually wholesome secondary emotions get triggered, get reinforced in that unpleasant situation. What would wholesome emotions look like around unpleasant mind state, unpleasant physical state? Let's just think about that for a few seconds. I mean, it's easy to think about the opposite like, what might the unwholesome secondary emotions look like when something's unpleasant, going on unpleasant in our life? You know, like hatred or you know, sometimes judgment, getting tight, you know, all the myriad ways we get tight when things are painful, impatient, blaming the world, or blaming another person for our discomfort, the unpleasantness. But what, given that we can, as human beings, avoid unpleasant situations, what might be some wholesome, Emotion, some wholesome states of mind that we could cultivate when inevitably things are unpleasant. Anything come to mind? You might have seen this in your own life. What have you done? Patience. Yeah. Now, sometimes we hear someone like Todd say patience, we think, uh, like we make it into a should, you know, I was told I should be patient when things are difficult. Trish, would you turn the fan on high speed? Um, Sometimes we think, like, I should be patient. But actually, we want to understand the mind state of patience is a beautiful mind state. It's a beautiful mind state that can easily feed on unpleasant experience. And so this is a a very uh, powerful transmutation from just suffering because of the unpleasant state to recognizing, being intimate with the unpleasant experience, and then adding to it a very beautiful state of mind called patience. Anything else come to mind besides patience? Yeah, compassion. Compassion can be beautiful. We've seen this. I mean, some of you uh, know Eric Stoll died a number of weeks ago. We had the memorial service on Thursday, a good friend of many of us, a longtime leader here at the center. And uh, it's always sort of strange in that situation, both right when he died and the weeks preceding his death and then the weeks after his death in the memorial service, where on the one hand, there's that very painful feeling of loss in the heart, very distinct painful experience. And on the other hand, all the incredibly beautiful feelings we can have appreciating somebody's life appreciating the love we feel for one another sharing the sense of loss together and you know just so many flavors of compassion just letting the heart break letting the heart be tender it both hurts because it's around it's it's arising out of a painful experience suffering but at the same time it's It's quite beautiful. And it really allows us to stay close to what's hard to bear, like the loss of a good friend, or just being reminded of impermanence, even on that level. So we have patience. We have compassion. What other positive way, what other positive emotion can spin, can come out of meeting unpleasantness? Yeah, empathy. It's a little bit related to compassion. And may, let me just say one more thing about empathy. And one thing about empathy, too, is, uh, you know, it may have uh, the flavor of wisdom. Like, when something's difficult, one way we can transmute it, or one way we can be empathetic, what allows for empathy is understanding that. Given the way things are, this experience can't be other than what it is. So, for example, if you're driving home, and it's it's the time of day when there shouldn't be traffic, like on a Sunday night, and all of a sudden the freeway is completely clogged up. <laughs> you don't like that, huh? <laughs> and uh, and then you know you'll notice, of course, the mind wanting to react, but then then wisdom arises. You know where you're kind of getting. You're kind of tuning into how it is, this empathetic, this empathetic uh, connection, like, what well, it can't be other than this way. I mean, whatever the causes and conditions were, whether they're known or unknown, like whether they're obvious accident or some unknown cause, but wisdom understands that this has natural causes and conditions. And given those natural causes and conditions, this traffic jam can't be other than what it is whether it's road work or accident or whatever it is. Or even the funny one where people are watching the accident on the other side of the road. But whatever it is, it's like this is just the natural unfolding. And we can be empathetic, meaning we can sort of not just be empathetic with another person. We can be empathetic with nature, the nature of things. Oh, well, this is how it is now. Can't be other than this. Somebody else had something over here? Kindness, yeah. Related to compassion. Like, kindness and compassion is uh, like the capacity to be close, intimate, and dropping the sense of isolation or the the sense of alienation. And one more is like fearlessness. Is that what someone was saying? (laughs) Gladness, yeah. So, how would joy arise in relationship to an un- uh, unpleasant experience? When you have a lot of momentum, there's actually that joy. No, I mean, especially if it's not, but if it's not too intense, we can actually be joyful about challenges. Yes, great. In this room not long before he died Eric mentioned about the gifts of cancer so gratitude is a, can change your, your, your attitude and what you things yeah and maybe that's related to the joy like uh, uh, you know for those of us who are conscious of what has been gained by opening to what's hard to bear then it can be a deep appreciation for it yeah like related to wisdom like when when we're humble we realize uh, there's nobody in control and surrendering to that and that's a wholesome mind state yeah and that might be related to joy too right like uh, like some recognition in the midst of an unpleasant state that what we in Buddhist circles would call this is Dhamma, this is how it is. It's not like how it is, we're not begrudging it, that somehow the whole truth, the great mystery, the total resolution of all suffering, it's all right here in the traffic, in the hemorrhoids, in whatever the unpleasant state might be. And also- Yeah, the absence of defense. Other thoughts? Forgiveness. It? Forgiveness. Yeah, forgiveness. Both like to the person that you feel offended by or something, and for yourself at the same time, maybe like allowing yourself to forgive yourself or being caught up in an and unskillful one, safe Yeah. And, and that forgiveness, the reason why it's so, like it's a, it transmuted, transmutes it into something beautiful is because it, it's, uh, it's wisdom. Because when we we're able to forgive the other and forgive ourselves, we're understanding that this mess, whatever it is, is impersonal. It's like we're understanding it as nature instead of as something she did wrong or I did wrong. And somebody else had a thought over here. Gratefulness. Yeah, gratefulness. How would that look with something unpleasant? Can be thankful for all, um, you know, the unpainfulness of the moment, you know, while there might be um, pain. And be grateful for your unchanging. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a different take than what someone else, uh, Craig and others, were talking about earlier. Like so. Uh, <laughs> Maybe noticing the bigger picture and how this is just one thing but not the whole truth. Yeah, thanks. Honesty. Hmm? Honesty. Yeah. I find that like uh, a real beautiful thing, that commitment to truth. Like, if it's unpleasant, there's something satisfying about that full acknowledgement. Well, this is how it is now in life. Did everybody here equanimity. yeah equanimity another expression of wisdom so let's go to let's go on uh, the and then we'll go on to the other two that, you know, animals, you know, yeah so now let's all bring to mind a, a pleasant mental or physical experience either had that happened recently or that might happen tomorrow could be greeting a good friend, or having your favorite food, or being done with work for the day. And as you bring to mind that the pleasantness of that particular situation, think about how the mind can go in two directions. Wholesome or unwholesome secondary emotions can arise out of the pleasantness. And let's, let's brainstorm both so we're aware, because We normally don't think of unwholesome emotions coming out of a pleasant experience, but let's get really clear how that can happen and then get really clear how pleasant or rather wholesome emotions can arise out of a pleasant experience. So when you have a thought, then name whether you're going to mention a pleasant, I mean, sorry, a wholesome or an unwholesome emotion coming out of a pleasant experience. And if you want, even say that pleasant experience you're thinking of, and then what wholesome or unwholesome emotion you've seen or you imagine can arise out of that. Go ahead, Susan. Um, unwholesome emotions, uh, going out of trees, enjoying the kind of spaciousness that can come up on a tree sometimes. we about what the next tree, is going to be in graspable water trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, grasping, and that's such an obvious example of how insane that is. How many beautiful, pleasant experiences have we ruined grasping? You know? Like, how many delicious dishes have we completely not been there for because our mind was caught up in grasping, like wanting more or wanting something different? How many vacations have we ruined by grasping when there we are, where we always wanted to be, and we're grasping. Other examples? Yeah. Um, There's this girl that, like when I'm with her, I feel really happy, but then I end up feeling scared that I'm not going to have that, or that I want to be more than that. More than? More than Oh, uh, you want the relationship to be more than what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to alienate myself from that because I feel like that would me feel safe, but at the same time, then I feel completely alienated to know that's Yeah. Isn't that true, that it's when, when we're around somebody we really want to be around, sometimes it's that easy to just let that be, you know? Thanks for that. Other other pleasant experiences and then what emotions come out of it? Like um, you also know, for eating ice cream. Or, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean there's the question like whether we should have chocolate or ice cream. <laughs> but if we do have ice cream or chocolate, doesn't it it's just so insane to ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other thoughts? Okay. Yeah. I think this might be like, sort of both, but I was just thinking of I'm like, shopping for a bike or getting a bike and trying kind to of, like brought a bike they're like, I'll oh, try this for a week, you know, like just sort of like, kind of like, oh, it sounds like specialness, like it must be really special to them maybe, like. Yeah. But, so it was kind of good, but it was also sort of like yeah it's subtle but I think that's a really important thing like when things are pleasant if we take it personal the pleasantness personal then in a way we have constructed a self and even though it may be very subtle like that something nice has happened to me things are going well for me it's like just that subtle congealing around the guy the person who owns this good experience or who is responsible for things being good? That's a kind of suffering. Yeah. Thanks. Playing with grandchildren. And what's fun? What came out of that? I'm assuming it's pleasant. It was pleasant. Uh-huh. It was very much pleasant. And then I wondered when no their parents were coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Were you looking forward to them coming or not looking forward to them coming? I was hoping. <laughs> I didn't want my grandchildren to see, but I wanted their mothers to take care of them. <laughs> How about I met somebody who really likes me, but I have to tell her that I don't feel the same way about me. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the things about uh, pleasant experience. Is that uh, and it's just true with life, you know? Life, there's like all these sort of natural movements of life, and especially whether you look at the life of relationships or work life or community life, family life. So whatever it is, it's like we never just get the pleasantness, you know. It's com- it's complicated. Everything is complicated, and so. Uh, it is nice to be liked, but it isn't like it isn't nice to have to tell people, you know, no, I'm just interested in being friends or something. So let's see, did we get we got both unwholesome? How about I don't know if we got this. What do pleasant emotions? What pleasant mind st- I'm sorry. What wholesome mind states can flow? wholesome emotions can flow out of pleasant experiences. So how, in other words, how should we train ourselves? So when we inevitably bump into pleasant experience, what kind of wholesome secondary emotions can flow out of pleasantness that will keep us out of trouble, keep us away from suffering? Gratitude, Gratitude, yeah. Some of the same ones we talked about before. What others? Clarity, Clarity. Mm -hmm. kindness. Energy. Mm-hmm. Relaxation. Yeah. Safe for a while. <laughs> right? <laughs> but that's okay. As long as we understand it's just for a while, it really is okay to rest. It's safe now. It's comfortable now. I can. This is what we do, should do every night. We're in our bed, or our bed for that night at least. And for this number of hours, we really don't have much to do. So it's really okay rest, and we can appreciate that, knowing that it won't always be this way. Appreciation, you know, we can appreciate the beauty without the attachment. Like, what is that? Imagine what that looks like. You know, it's a kind of intimacy with the beauty without the identification. So how can we, like, appreciate qualities of another person we really like, or... Appreciate the quality of the day, the weather, appreciate our own wholesome qualities, beautiful qualities, without attachment, without the grasping. Like a pure uh, appreciation, or a simple appreciation. Now, the next one's more challenging. So let this, it's not challenging to think of neutral experiences, because we're having neutral experiences all the time. But think about some things that happen today or will happen tomorrow that are neutral. You don't think of these different events or experiences as being strongly pleasant or strongly unpleasant. And then, how, how might unwholesome emotions flow out of those neutral experiences? And how might wholesome emotions flow from neutral experience? And what would that look like? Yeah. Are you thinking of a particular experience, neutral experience? Uh, I was just thinking of being at home today and watching my two cats and uh, kind of fighting. Like, and at first I was interested in but It wasn't that exciting, but <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking like, wow, oh, I really I should be doing something more fun than just looking at the cat and the same thing they're always doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so boredom can flow out. Somehow we're taking the experience personally. It's like my life deserves better than this. (laughs) You know, two cats fighting. (laughs) Other thoughts about neutrality? Or something that's not clearly pleasant or unpleasant and how wholesome or unwholesome emotion might flow out of it. Uh, Yeah, that's something I think most of us can relate like a hunger for something deserving, you know, something exciting or relevant for me. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, Trish? It be a yeah. Yeah. And another way, another word maybe for that spaciousness might be contentment. Like Trish said, when the mind. Recognizes that it's not struggling with the present moment, it's neutral, nothing to do, that there's a kind of spaciousness or contentment. Are there experiences that fl- might flow out of neut- neutrality or experiences that aren't strongly pleasant or unpleasant? So, it's like, uh, around the board, the uh, uh, whole thing is, around know, pretty allergy But it's all pretty neutral. Yeah. It's all the same, anyway. yeah. It's just funny how, like, one day it could change in a second. It's very interesting how neutrality can be really oppressive at some point. Like, if we have the wrong attitude, a little bit like what you were saying and other people were saying, Uh, Neutrality feels like a a really profound insult to the personal sense that we can have about our life. I mean, there's got to be more to my life than this. Yeah. I have a tendency towards self judgment in neutrality. Like, I must not be doing my job. I should be doing something more. Yeah. And this is, this is true with all three feeling states. We should be on the lookout for what Jane just mentioned. One of the ways, uh, one of the expressions of taking the feeling state personally is to somehow uh, imply or impute some ownership, like, I'm responsible for the pleasantness, the neutrality, the unpleasantness. I must have done something wrong, or I must have done something right. And we really want to retrain our mind. To seeing that it's basically the first impulse should be, well, of course, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral states do come and go. This is life is completely made up of pleasant, neutral, unpleasant states coming and going. So it's never a mistake because if it's not one, it will be another one of these. It's always going to be one of these three states. And and it. We don't want to value ourselves. create a sense of personal value depending on the frequency of any of these three things. If you want to create a sense of value, it's can the heart be at ease no matter which of these three things are arising for us. Yeah, did someone else? Yeah. How might that look? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. What are your thoughts about neutrality that you've experienced? Yeah, Julie. I don't know how you put it in like one word, but taking it for granted. I'm taking it all for granted because it's, you know, not good. enough. Yeah. And again, I think this would apply to all three equally well. Or at least if we're good and we can't. Yeah. Yeah, but don't we do the same with unpleasant too? Don't we often assume it's going to be this way? It's going to stay this way when it's bad? Even though our whole life has demonstrated that it's going to change, yet every time we're in pain it feels like this is how it's going to be, you know, forever. Yeah. I think there may be something really um, uh, like uh, the budding of a real insight there because um, the Buddha often recommended uh, awareness of neutral be- for some of the reasons that you described. When we're there with neutrality, the and this is why we spend so much time cultivating samadhi or that collectedness, balance, centered awareness, you know, that being mindful with some continuity. Everything calms down, the awareness sort of collects here in the present moment. And there can be a kind of coolness, dispassion, dispassionate sort of presence with the comings and goings of the body, of the mind, of what's going on around us. And then we can have a little bit of the reaction that you described that um, almost like a grieving, like a sense of loss. Because in a a real way, the mind, um, the heart, has lost its personal drama. Because a lot of the drama that we experience in life comes when the mind gets entangled with pleasant and unpleasant experiences. And if nothing too dramatic is happening, my mind will remember something, you know, or concoct something dramatic, you know, like an illicit affair or, you know, the new, you know, the next episode of my favorite program and what might happen or regurgitating something from the past. But we'll, we'll do something to bring to mind something strongly pleasant or unpleasant because we feel a little dead initially before we've cultivated. A taste and wisdom, a taste for neutrality and the wisdom of neutrality. It feels life-threatening. Neutrality does. So it's really an interesting place to look at that that sort of raw uh, feeling, like nothing's happening, and almost like we've lost something. And it's like this edge in neutrality between wholesome and unwholesome. Unwholesome would be the mind getting identified, it's it's different, you know. being very clearly aware of neutrality is the opposite of what we normally do. What's the strong habit when things are neutral? To ignore it. Right? We just assume if it's really neutral, the present moment, or the particular experience, we just assume it isn't worth paying attention to. So when we do the opposite and really pay attention to neutrality, which is hard enough, then that's going to challenge the deep habit of the mind to be only interested in pleasant and unpleasant, and in a sense feeding, the sense of self feeding on the reactivity to the pleasant and unpleasant. So when we cultivate attention to the neutral and don't get confused. By that habit, that it isn't important, but really hang out there. There's going to be some, the habit energy is going to react to that. And you might experience a quite strong sense of grieving or fear or some other version of, of the mind that will shape, challenge the mindfulness of neutrality. And we really want to practice not taking the bait and just staying present with neutrality. And the more you practice, more and more objects will become neutral. I mean, like normally when you sit down, the body is generally unpleasant. And then at times when the concentration is good, the body can be pleasant. But the more we practice vipassana or mindfulness, the body becomes profoundly neutral. In fact, more and more experience becomes deeply neutral. And we can either turn that into a problem, or we can uh, begin to cultivate a contentment that then morphs, transmutes into a very deep peace and letting go. Because the, the Buddha describes the deepest happiness as the happiness of relinquishment, the happiness of letting go. And this is one of the things we realize in neutrality. We're getting the first taste of the heart, mind, that does this uh, amazing maneuver where it's profoundly intimate. And at the same time, it almost sounds like a contradiction, profoundly intimate and profoundly disentangled or profoundly non-reactive to experience at the same time. It's really that image or that instruction is really a way to articulate liberation or nirvana. It's the mind or heart profoundly intimate and profoundly free of personal entanglements at the same time. So you can think about this in all ways. So what are we profoundly intimate with? Well, generally we say the present moment, but in terms of what's really important, we're profoundly intimate with the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality of the present moment. Because that's the trigger. So that's what we want to really focus on, that profound intimacy, that vulnerability, that undefendedness with the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. And with that intimacy, with the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality, and the reliance on the wholesome emotions that can come out, the gratitude, the compassion, the spaciousness, the acceptance, then we're realizing, like, oh, this is what liberation looks like, being in the world, but not pushed around, not beaten up, not weighed down by the world, by the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality of the world, of experience. Does that make sense as a description of awakening. So now, you have something, now we have something to tell our friends. You know? So wh- why do you practice? And we can say, well, I practice in order to be fully engaged, fully intimate, fully present in my life as it is, without be- being beaten up, pushed around, and weighed down by my reactivity to pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. I mean, that's something we can actually understand. And not only that, even more importantly, it's something we can actually practice. Yeah, so are there other thoughts about this? Questions that come to mind about this practice working with feeling, the feeling of pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality? I have a question. Yeah? So if, if you're going for some sort of enlightenment and sort of like to so be at some point, some point, in that become positive, like the next that you want to you continue, know, so that's the positive, like the wholesome. And then there's the negative, which is that you were before you were to you know, do this thing, then you would continue to try and be neutral in that sense of enlightenment, right? So there is no place like, so you're going. If you neutral with everything, then there is nothing. Then, then what's, what's enlightenment. Enlightenment is uh, the absence of that unwholesome reactivity due to the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. So it doesn't limit, limit us from how we respond to a particular event or experience in our life, right? It just means that the response isn't going to be some contracted state of mind that's painful. So whenever you have an experience, notice in that moment there's a choice. I can respond to this experience with a contracted state of mind, which sets in motion more suffering for myself and probably to others around. Or I can respond to the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality of this experience in a way that's very clean. It's not relying on contraction or reaction. So that's that's really what we're doing. So don't think about the neutrality here is pointing to a very specific neutral, because it's very easy to overgeneralize that neutrality or that sort of absence of reactivity. It's not an absence of action. It's an absence of contraction or absence of greed, anger, and delusion, the reactivity arising out of greed, anger, and delusion. Does that make sense? You also said to not be reactive to pleasantness. Not reactive to pleasantness, meaning not reactive based out of greed or fear. Right? So it doesn't mean we can't respond to pleasantness. And that's why we were talking about like, what are wholesome ways to respond to pleasantness? Well, appreciation is a wholesome way to respond to pleasantness, gratitude is a wholesome way to respond. pleasantness. Generosity is a beautiful way to respond to pleasantness. And see, these are responses that don't require a contracted state of mind. Gail, did you have a thought? Well, yeah, I think they are different. It's just that uh, equanimity is a kind of evenness of mind. It's a wisdom. It's a, 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 uh, it's a mind state of wisdom. So the mind isn't confused by the arising phenomena, mind and body phenomena. It isn't confused by it. And so, th- so that's what equanimity is. But it doesn't mean the experience itself is neutral. Yeah. But you don't don't get half the things you want to come and go. So that's the neutrality of it. Well, yeah. But using neutral in that way, then, kind of can be confusing. Yeah. (laughs) So so I would call that equanimity. Because here, we're talking about neutral. See, remember, last week, for those of you who weren't here, I mentioned that where does feeling come from? Where does the neutrality and pleasantness and unpleasantness come from? So if I see somebody, or I hear something, or I touch something, can't help it. Whenever I have sense contact, there's pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. But where does that come from? Because it's different from person to person. So it's really coming out of the past. The way my mind has been conditioned by genetics and by my past experiences, that's where the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality come from. So there's nothing we can do about that. Every moment we have an experience, we have many different experiences, every one of those sense experiences will have a feeling tone based on the past, right, the way the mind's been conditioned. Now, equanimity enters in with wisdom we can train in being more and more equanimous, meaning that it's basically the wisdom that understands we don't need to react to the particular feeling tone that's arising due to the the sense experience. There's other ways. Like we can have a pleasant, or an unpleasant, or a neutral experience, but the heart doesn't need to respond or react. Now, even when the heart does respond, it doesn't have to respond in a way that leaves a trace. So the definition of a wholesome response would be one that doesn't involve a contraction of the mind, doesn't involve self-centeredness. So that's why joy and gratitude and forgiveness and compassion and acceptance and wisdom, these ways of responding in the moment, don't cause a reverberation in the mind. So we could say it's just nature responding instead of Mark, who is responding out of fear or anger, or responding out of greed and neediness, responding out of ignorance. Does that? Make more yeah, sense? I think kind of the kind of a gross, like you said, you have one of three ways to react. And equanimity is more of a, a wisdom way, mother, somewhere in like a direction. Yeah. And there's just one little other piece we might as well mention here about equanimity. So equanimity can arise for two reasons, and they're often related. One is the wisdom we talked about. So when the mind understands that the way things come and go, it's very impersonal. And so I'm not going to, when I have pain in my body, I'm not going to like the pain in my body. But I'm not going to take it personally. So I'm not going to react. I'm not going to feel I'm personally insulted because I have hemorrhoids, or I have a back problem, or I have a headache. It's just how it is. So that's one expression of equanimity. Another manifestation of equanimity is when we're experiencing a lot of pleasantness in our life, we have a little immunity to what's unpleasant and insulting, right? So, you have somebody in your life who just loves you unconditionally. And then you go to work and they don't love you unconditionally. But you have a little immunity because back home, there's somebody who really loves you, right? You know that feeling? Or you just you just got the great promotion, you know, but uh, your mom, you know, doesn't think you've turned out very well. <laughs> but you have some immunity from that unpleasant event because of this. Or you've had a really good sit and your mind got really calm and you feel a lot of that calm and inner bliss. And then you go out and the world is harsh, but you have some immunity because of the pleasantness. So, we get a temporary equanimity when we've experienced a lot of pleasantness, a lot of, especially a lot of wholesome pleasantness, for a while. And you'll see that you, you kind of, there's a, a sort of a little bit of liberation when we have a lot of good things happening. We can tolerate a lot of un, uh, unpleasant things, but that you know, lasts for a while. <laughs> Maybe time for one more comment if anybody else has a thought to share with the group or a question. Yeah, might Yeah, I'm just, just really struggling with attachment because I keep reading about attachment being an affliction in Buddhism, and like, I mean, I'm so attached to so like my children, you know. There's, t- I just don't like if if my child and I were not attached, that would be very dangerous to him, you know. I mean, he's grown up but <laughs> attachment, and like he didn't get it enough, mm-hmm. and so now it's like he's struggling with it as an adult. Yeah, and part of it is are the words too. But you know, you mentioned a good thing about grown children, and it's like when children are really young, then a certain way the parent relates to the child is appropriate. That sort of uh, hyper vigilance and uh, a kind of ownership, like I am personally. Responsible for your happiness, I am personally going to take care of you as best I can. Now, that actually isn't very healthy when the child becomes an adult, and so then the the quality of love needs to be transformed. And I think even at the time of the Buddha, he used this as an example of. That's what I don't like about the Buddha. He away <laughs> from his own child. Yeah. Like, I, well, he that. picked him back up then when he was seven. Okay. <laughs> and, and in fact, became a, a novice when he was seven and, and followed along with the Buddha. So but what I'm thinking is like when my child was born, I had this incredible experience of my heart just breaking open because I loved someone so much. Yeah. And then, you know, over time, we kind of grow apart and all that, and they're big. <laughs> Whatever, but, and you do get, like, but I still feel like that is so important, like, that human quality, kind of like that, you know, that love that a parent feels for a child is
1: such an important attachment. Like, how
0: yeah. can that be a problem or bad or... Well, for example, if he died, right? If he died, is it he? Yeah. Yeah, so if he died, then uh, your heart would be crushed, probably. But now the question is is there a way to be intimate to be just really there in a powerful loving skillful way with your child from birth to old age without that suffering That's the question like is is the attachment functional in any way So I'm not talking about the intensity of love right So just because we're not attached doesn't mean that the quality of love can't be quite powerful. Compassion, love, gratitude, generosity, joy can be completely powerful. Fill the heart and mind. But the attachment is the stickiness. Do we need the stickiness in order to have the fullness of love? And that's really something to explore. Like, what would that look like? And this is a good time now that this person is an adult. This is a good time to explore what does that fullness of commitment, fullness of love, look like now that this is an independent adult, you know, who has complete authority to make his own mistakes in life, you know, and live the life he wants to live. Like, how do? How does a parent show up completely with love, unconditional love now? What does that look like? Knowing that you know if he chooses the speed or he chooses to use drugs or he chooses to do this or to do that, you know your job is to love unconditionally and not to be afraid of what might happen because you know things can happen. And so it can be even skillful with your partners, with your kids, with the world at large, right now we should make peace with every possibility, life and death, because we don't know what's going to happen. And it actually, if we're afraid, like if we have a son and we can't imagine, we cannot accept his passing, it actually keeps us from being really close to him or her. The the unwillingness to Accept that this is a fragile thing and I don't know what's around the corner actually keeps us from really showing up So in some skillful way, we have to even when things are going really well We have to understand that may not be always this way and what and and how How can I include that in how I am with this person? How does that change how we are together? And we went over a little so let's leave it here Just take a couple breaths together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.